guys, welcome back to Titty Tattles. Before we kick off our new episode, we would like to answer our first and at the moment still only question, um, comment left on Apple Podcasts. Woo-hoo. Thank you, Miss uh, 五十加一人 or Mr. 五十加一人. I'm not sure of your gender or if you prefer uh, he or she pronoun or they pronoun. But <laughs> you, but <laughs> but you, you have given us so much hope and warmth by asking us a question in the comments section. So glad people are listening. <laughs> so, Phoebe, would you like to briefly summarize this question before we answer it? Yeah. So our lovely listener said, uh, "You guys sound great when you speak English. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to know: Did you grow up abroad?" I feel like you speak a little bit fast, but the content is interesting, and I will continue to listen. Yes, and he also, he or she also mentioned how we learned English in the title section.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, would you like to go first? Do you want to talk about whether you grew up、uh, abroad, or do you want to talk about how you learned English? Up to you. Sure. Yeah. So I sort of grew up abroad.、Uh, I lived in the UK from the age of five to about eleven because of my parents studying here. So it was kind of like a buy one get one free situation with education. So they came here. <laughs> I went to primary school. It was for free. It was a very good deal. And you know, children learn languages so naturally when they're so small. So that's basically what happened to me. And my parents really helped me to build a habit of、uh, reading. They took me to the library every week to borrow books. And I don't have any siblings, so I had to entertain myself. So I just read a lot and became friends with Harry Potter and stuff. How about you, Sydney?、Um, I didn't grow up abroad. I have studied abroad before, but that was after college, and I had this accent. I've had this accent since I was a since I could since I could utter words. So, I think what my mother did when I was young was that she would have my father speak Mandarin to me, and then she, as an English teacher, would try her best to speak in English to me. And then she bought a lot of、um, American-based、um, educational materials, like We Sing. You、oh, know, actually, We Sing. I think that was British. I'm not sure.、Um, but like, I remember stories like Barney and Friends and Arthur and D.W. All of those, like, oh, and Berenstain Bears. So a lot of like these classic American materials that she,、um, she sort of familiarized with me with. And then she spent a lot of time reading with me and speaking English to me up till the time when I was in. Close to elementary school, I think she sent me to this、um, English cram school、um, when I was like I think five or almost six. A different one. And then that went a different. No, no, that was before she started her own、oh, business. Oh right. Yeah, and I stayed there for like a couple of years. I'm not actually. I'm not sure how long I stayed there,、um, but. Eventually, when I got into elementary school, I had like a tutor every week to read with me, and then on my own time, I would watch a lot of movies and TV shows. And roughly around when I was in, I think, perhaps middle school, I guess,、um, I, I, the last tutor I had read Pride and Prejudice with me when I was like what, fourteen or fifteen. Cool. And then after that, I was kind of on my own. And what I did later on was that I read a lot, watched a lot of TV shows, and avoided studying as much as possible. <laughs> avoided studying like academic subjects that I should have paid attention to as much as possible, and I immersed myself in reading and talking to myself、um, <laughs> in my room. I would reenact Harry Potter scenes. <laughs> Same. Sometimes I would be. Sometimes I would be Hermione, but sometimes I would be this extra character because I wanted to be me. <laughs> I like to be Voldemort's daughter with Bellatrix. Oh, 
I'm so annoyed they actually did that in the Cursed Child because it's such a fan fiction thing. Wait, but did, did you do this before the fan fiction? Well, or yeah, it was like started? a whole thing before the Cursed Child came out. That was like my main, you know, imagination thing as a kid. You know, when we're children, we have little running stories going on in our heads. My fan fiction was that because I was also like dabbing into like um, Twilight at that time. Ah, uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, so I I kind of created this character. This is so embarrassing to admit, but who cares? Uh, <laughs> I sort of created this character where I was like half vampire and half witch, and then. I had this immortality thing going on, so I think I dated Lucius Malfoy, and then it didn't work out because then he <laughs> married um, Narcissa, right? And then I was still young and pretty, and then like you know I went to foreign country, experienced a lot, and came back and started dating Draco. <laughs> that is very Mary Sue. You dated the father, and then you dated the son. Well, I couldn't decide was Jason Isaacs or Tom Felton hotter. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope Jason Isaacs never hears this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so in love with Jason Isaacs, but anyways. <laughs> he is very attractive. But it was really interesting attractive. to hear you describe your um, learning English growing up because I don't think it's come up in conversation like so in such detail before. Did no. your mom speak with you in English like the whole time as a child? Yeah, the whole time. And then when I hit elementary school, she realized that she couldn't force me because like Mandarin was still like my mother tongue. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted that I'm bilingual, like there are some aspects of my emotions are better expressed through Mandarin. And then it, it would have been a pain to force me to like only communicate with her in a certain sense. But interestingly, when I got into fights with my mom when I was a teenager, I started yelling in English. English is much better for yelling. We have this moment, you know that moment where like Asian immigrants who either immigrate to England or America and the immigrant parent isn't as acquainted with English as the child because the child learned it as like, you know, naturally mm -hmm. as, as like a first language. And so the child gets a lot more like and mouthier, bitchier when they grow older and have an opinion. And then it's they sort of like debate with their parents in a way that makes it hard for the parent to actually talk back because they're not as linguistically like yeah. sharp. That happened to us and that was a huge problem growing up in my childhood. But later on, when I got older, I became more comfortable expressing certain things in Mandarin. So does your mom have the same accent as you or? No, she has like a slight Mandarin like act like Taiwanese accent to it. Like she for uh, for an English teacher, she can pronounce everything in an American accent. But like conversationally, then you can tell that, you know, yeah, there's still a hint of like the Chinese in it. Yeah. But you've always had the very American American accent to all of the listening to American TV shows and songs and stuff. I'm very sensitive to accents. So if you had given me more time, like say that I spent a semester in England, I think I would have been able to nail it. I just have to figure out which one to follow because growing up being exposed to so much American stuff, when I learned about the British accent, it was Harry Potter. It was then Downtown Abbey. Mm -hmm. It was then Shameless. <laughs> and then, so it's like a mixture of regional accents and sometimes a Scottish accent. So like I, I got confused with which one to follow, but it's really easy for me to identify the vowels in a certain accent. So the first step is that it's I can understand it really fast, really soon. After if you give you like a couple of sentences, I, sh I don't have a problem understanding people from Scotland or or Welsh or Irish. Really, I don't understand Scottish people sometimes. <laughs> They're so cute. The accent is so cute. It's so soft and it's so chirpy. Are we talking about the same Scottish people? Yes, I went to I went to Edinburgh and then. I remember the first sentence I was confused and then I was like, 
I paid attention. I was like, oh, okay, this is what you're talking about. And I was like, it's so nice to hear them talk like comfortably in their native accent. Because I think in Hollywood, um, every for every non-American accent is exaggerated to the extent that I think everybody either sounds problematic or aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Asian Americans, even the ones who are literally supposed to have been born in America, are like, how dare you insult my forefathers <laughs> like this? <laughs> yeah, it always sounds so awkward. And the and German, whether it's the German accent or German itself, when when I was finally able to visit Germany, I was so surprised by how soft and happy and intellectual. <laughs> German sound it did not sound like an angry Nazi struggling with his own film, you know. <laughs> No, really? No, 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 no. I think I think German is beautiful. <laughs> Anyways, I think we've digressed a lot on how we've learned English. Thank you, Mr. or Mrs. Wu Shijiayi. We will try our best to speak slower. We're really sorry. I get very anxious and then I, I start speaking faster. I'm really sorry. I'm still nervous when I talk. <laughs> yeah, I will also try my best to speak slower. And I don't know if the podcast has an option to listen to it at a slightly slower speed. Um, I mean, if you see us, if you follow us on YouTube, eventually when we upload the episodes, you can adjust the speed to the video. Yes. So that helps. That's what I like about YouTube. Yes. Well, keep in mind because we know that a lot of our audience is Asian, and we will try our best to make everything accessible to everybody. Thank you so much. Okay, so on to the theme of our new episode. This time we're going to discuss the teen classic Mean Girls and also the Mean Girl trope. Yes, uh, I, I was so happy that we were going to talk about this. I learned so much reading about it. Okay, so I can't, I can't wait. Okay, so Phoebe, what did you like about the Mean Girls movies? Well, so the Mean Girls movie com- came out in like, 2004 so I was about eight it was my first introduction to American teen culture and I found it all so interesting you know at that age when Mm -hmm. girls are like eight or nine we're fascinated by what slightly older teenage girls are doing (laughs) and we want to be exactly like them so I was like yeah this is what it's like to be a teenager and the dialogue is so classic I know. I could really relate to Katie as well because she's supposed to have grown up in Africa. So she doesn't know anything about the mainstream culture in America. And she's just getting to know it, just stumbling into being a part of the plastics. And I was also at that time trying to fit in in the UK. (laughs) So it resonated a lot with me. How about you? Mm-hmm. What did you like best about it? Well, I definitely agree on you how it introduced like Asians to American pop culture, especially I'm pretty sure they started the whole miniskirt trend in Asia. Oh, like, really? Because Mean Girls was one of the few, especially Lindsay Lohan, right? She was one of the very few like prominent teen actors at that time yeah. after like the parent track. And so I felt like a lot of her movies were featured in Asia at that time. And it definitely brought out this like, like if you wanted to dress like an American girl at that time, I guess trying to look like Regina George or Lindsay Lohan was like, you know, the go-to. Um, so why do I, what do I love about Mean Girls? I mean, come on, it's a movie based on the perspective of girls, which I feel, I would argue that um, chick, flicks, chick flicks are so insightful for women because they're catered to a female audience and there's so much scholarship on it. It's very exciting. On top of that, uh, it had the plotting, the scheming and the glamorous stuff that girls find interesting because it's intellectual. 
Okay, there's nothing interesting about a guy punching someone or guns and guns trying to blow up a whole building. There's no excitement to that. There's no dimension to that. But girls manipulating and plotting, that takes brains. And that's what attracts women. Anyways, yeah. Most important. <laughs> so we have watched a yeah. lot of these teen movies over the years. Compared to other teen movies or television series, what do you think about how women are de- depicted in Mean Girls and other Mean Girl type um, films? So when, yeah, yeah. So so when I first saw Mean Girls or um, TV series like Gossip Girl or TV movie series like High School Musical, um, Pretty Little Liars. I obviously paid a lot of attention to the plot and whether there was going to it was going to come to some sort of conclusion because there was always friction mm-hmm. and conflict and you wanted that conflict to be solved. Oh, I'm speaking so fast. <laughs> but as I revisited the classics, especially like Mean Girls, um, High School Musical and Gossip Girl, I had much more fun observing what the Mean Girls or Queen Bees were like. And I was constantly wondering why I was much more invested in the Queen Bee plot. They're just much more interesting people. And in a way, the stories are focused around how charismatic they are, even though it's not always in a Mm -hmm. healthy way, right? Yeah. And one thing I'd like to add on is like, I I do agree that um, complex male characters are often more seen in male villains as well in many of the movies that depict male villains. Um, I feel like what's unfair here is that these these male villains always have this, like, some sacred calling that they're trying to fulfill, like this life philosophy. And it's so deep and so nuanced. But, you know, for the female villain, it's always about just revenge, just out of spite, or just because they want to be pretty and popular. And that's that's not true. That's not true for women. And I feel a little bit sad about that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so next question. As an Asian woman, can you draw on your own experiences in high school where a similar Mean Girl hierarchy was present in the classroom or the school? Well, by the time I was in high school, I was back in China. And you probably know a little bit of the academic pressures in China. I feel like we just didn't have the space for any kind of social hierarchy. We barely had time to make friends with the other students in the class. So I feel like we were like, as a whole, boys and girls quite emotionally stunted. And you need some (laughs) level of emotional complexity to build a mean girl hierarchy. So we didn't actually have that. How about in Taiwan? There's also a lot of academic pressure, but maybe you also get a bit of opportunity to socialize as well. Yes, because I'm pretty sure we don't have it as intense as you guys. I mean, we we have the mentality to like sort of force our kids into only caring about their academic performance. But in terms of how the curriculum was designed, I believe that we still had some space in between to develop and like some type of emotional development, whether it was healthy or not. So yes, there was. There was a hierarchy. Um, Girls who did better at academic work or looked prettier had the social upper hand, but not all of them were mean. Um, Mostly it was a combination of the type of dominating personality and good grades. If you had no good grades, domination would have been... It it would have occurred, but it would have been harder um, because you because you had to deal with the embarrassment of not doing well in class. Unless you were incredibly gorgeous, that would be a different situation. Um, That being said, yeah, I've personally been a victim of this sort of hierarchy and was bullied by these girls before. So there definitely is 
So <laughs> that would be the main difference between the Taiwanese Mean Girl hierarchy and the American, that it's a lot more focused on academic mm-hmm. performance. I can't remember if they mentioned yes. in the show whether Regina was like a good student or anything. Did they? I don't know. I don't think so. But I feel like... But I think they did in Gossip Girl, though, because like what Blair and Serena were competing for Ivy League uh, yeah. you know, colleges. Because yeah, so their parents were also so wildly privileged and they expected their kids to get into yes. Ivy League schools. So they had more of that kind of pressure. Oh, I was just saying that the same goes for Sharpay Evans in High School Musical. She was very determined to get into Juilliard. She was really driven to success. And yeah, for the many of the types of women I see, I think Regina George was one of the more vague ones when it came to academic work. Yeah, and that's also because her mom was just kind of encouraging her to be this kind of bimbo girl. (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely. So that does bring us to the question of why mean girls are so mean. Like, what is it about their life that encourages them to act in this way? What do you think? Well, I think, well, we came by this concept when we were doing our research, which is the concept of relational aggression. Um, mean girls experience different types of aggression but unlike men they are not given the physical outlet they're not given like the soccer games you know uh, the football games where they can push each other and they're definitely very much discouraged to not um, get into a fight because it's unladylike and so they channel that aggression into relationships which is why we have the term relational aggression it means that they attack the social relationships between others that could be their female peers or male peers to facilitate some type of dominance for example they would free someone out of the social circle spread rumors to tarnish one's reputation and so to make things more specific there's like Blair who blackmails and manipulates everybody around her Regina spreads rumors and lies to her friends about the guy so that she gets the guy and then Katie feels embarrassed um Sharpay manipulates adults to what she wants so that she can destroy the competition Mm -hmm. so yeah uh that's basically how it works for relational aggression and I think that's why they're seen as these like evil villains because they tamper with very subtle relationships between people and it's not a nosebleed it's like eternal damnation if they succeed and get their way and i guess that's part of why they're not viewed in such a positive light because i feel like western culture Mm -hmm. values uh people being honest with each other and just being direct about what you don't like yes yes whereas in asia i think it's it's kind of frowned upon but not as much as i think in the west but what I would, what I'm more interested in asking you is, do you think mean girls express aggression differently from men, and how do you see it's depicted in these films? Yeah, definitely. Um, as you mentioned, boys have more of an outlet for physical aggression, and they also tend mm-hmm. to just be more upfront with the name calling and yes. direct nastiness. But girls also want to mm-hmm. maintain this appearance on the surface that we're still all friends, but they try much more to use other people to get to Mm -hmm. their goal of bullying a certain person or they use social expectations to create isolation and anxiety. It kind of reminds me of these Mm -hmm. Chinese royal palace dramas, you know, with all these concubines Mm -hmm. when they enter the emperor's harem. They're the same age as girls these days would be Mm -hmm. in high school and they plot and they scheme and they trick each other and then they get sent to the cold palace and they get executed and stuff so it's crazy that just in a different setting girls could be using these scheming powers to be straight up murdering but 
we see it in a high school setting. Well, the difference between men and women is that they see social exclusion in a very different way. For girls, it's like it's it's executed in a way where it's like not in your face. It's always hidden between the lines. Whereas for guys, because you just mentioned bully, you could still exclude someone socially. But guys do it like with outward shame, right? They they push you against lockers, they punch you, they call you names. They do it to both genders, actually. I've definitely had my fair share of guys picking on me for no reason. And that's how they sort of say that, you know, you are the other, you are not part of us. As for girls, they're told to hold back these very nasty thoughts. So they channel in a lot more like sneakier, scheming way. Yeah, so... Is that like directly what you've seen in your experience? Do you have any examples you can think well, of? Well, because I feel like in Asia, violence, physical violence in general is not something paraded in front of, you know, our culture. You know, physical violence has always been something where we should, we've been taught to avoid. Yeah, even for um, That's why we don't care about physical education <laughs> that much as America does. Um, and so I think what boys do to let to like let off steam is they watch a lot of porn and they talk about it like abruptly in class about porn. Yeah, they, they you know they had these these first generation smartphones like you know the Sony Ericsson ones. I'm not sure, but like they had these phones where you could have a screen on them and then someone would download like one porn video because that's how much <laughs> it could take. And then they would like watch it in the back of the class and be like, oh my gosh, she's in a nurse suit, you know, in a nurse uniform. And then and then they just made fun of so much of it because like that's how they let off their steam. And then when they couldn't get into a fight, they would definitely bully people verbally and make fun of each other in very outward manners. Uh, if they really did have fights, it was off school grounds, I'm pretty sure. As for girls, I feel like in Asia, we do a lot of relational aggression. Um, there's a lot of gossip, there's a lot of backstabbing, and a lot of social exclusion. Uh, but they do it much more subtly, I think, because they're actually afraid of getting caught. Whereas I feel like, what from what I've seen in Western movies, at least, I feel like you kind of own it in a sense yeah like you own the nastiness but here they're everybody's trying to be very like mealy minded and very like prim and proper no, I'm very nice how could i've ever done that I'm, I'm a straight a student i'm not evil i have straight a to prove for that and i think in china <laughs> there's a lot more tattletailing because we rely oh, yes. on authority much more than in america yes 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 yeah tattletailing is a huge thing um i'm a teacher and so i know that my kids <laughs> when they deal with conflict I'm always involved I have to fix it <laughs> so do you it depends if it's something really like insignificant and it's like meant to get someone in trouble or if it's something that I feel like they should learn how to deal on their own I ask them I tell them what to do and how to do it and they ask them to deal with it on their own I usually get involved when there is bullying and there's a lot of violence and someone did really do something that is considered socially unacceptable yeah i feel like most of the time it's best <laughs> to let the kids resolve it between themselves because so much happens between them that adults don't see so you can try your best to give mm -hmm. the just verdict but i don't think i'm equipped mm -hmm. to be a judge of even child conflicts it's very important to them <laughs> well it's yet yeah, it is but sometimes they need to understand that when you grow older the world doesn't revolve around you. Yeah. Right? There, There is an age where you, where their emotions must be met. But there is an age where, like, you need to help. You need to sort of, like, nudge them in the right direction to say, like, I know that you're upset, but I'm pretty sure that person didn't mean it. So let's not try to murder that person by telling me, okay? I'm not going to murder them for you. So 
let's just ask for an apology and uh, accept the idea that, you know, accidents happen. And don't use tattletaling as a weapon to get someone else in trouble because that's how they handle it when they can't punch you. you know? Yeah, and it's not like they can continue to tattletale as an adult in most situations. I mean, maybe some yes, if they're yes, like definitely. in a hierarchical company situation. Yeah, but, but it's interesting though because like um, when we talk about aggression, when we talk about why these kids need to tattletale, they need to punch, there's always this understanding that they're upset about something, right? Oh, so-and-so stepped on my jacket. I get that a lot from my kids. Or in the movies, like, you you made someone look bad in the cafeteria or something, right? Um, or you crossed someone by, you know, accidentally overstepping, whichever, right? And it, it's interesting because I, I feel like aggression comes from very different sources for women w- that we see in Western high school movies and among the young women that we grew up with as kids. So where do you think female aggression in this case comes from for either the movie or Asian women? I think most of it is A, inadequate parenting and B, the school system (laughs) not really being conductive to their personality or how they're motivated because it's so tricky Mm -hmm. for parents to find a balance between teaching kids the right morals and not being too controlling, especially as they're coming into their own more as teenagers. And you can tell in these movies Mm -hmm. with the queen bees that their parents are not helping at all. Like with Regina, her mom is kind of obsessed with her own idea of being a cool mom. And she's encouraging all these unhealthy behaviors Mm -hmm. in Regina and her little sister, who's like six and already doing sexy dances. And she's just encouraging this sort of behavior, like telling them that they should explore their femininity in such a way that they're kind of exposed to the male gaze when they're still so very young. And Regina is clearly so smart. She could have so many other ways of expressing her ambitions and her motivations. But I feel like her mom pressured her a bit into becoming who she was. And then say with Blair and Gossip Girl, her mom said something to her once like, you are, mm-hmm. you will never be as beautiful or as thin as you are now, right? So that's a lot of anxiety to give to a young girl yeah. that she has to be perfect and this is the best time of her life and their parents just expect a lot. So sometimes it's too much pressure, too little pressure. And then at school, when there's so many kids to look after, it depends on what your needs are. But if you're not the average, then you're often not getting what you need, whether you're too smart for the curriculum or if you're falling behind, it can cause all kinds of social anxiety. So on that subject, what do you think can be done by parents or the school systems to help these mean girls express themselves in less destructive ways? What I see as the, because we were talking about like them not being able to deal with their emotions properly, right? So, and I think those emotions stem with self-esteem because when you're a teenager or even if you're a kid, self-esteem is something that you struggle with a lot. If you're younger, perhaps if you were brought up in a more nurturing environment it's always there but at some point you always when you're trying to grow up and redefine your relationship with the environment or the people around you self-esteem becomes it's a very slippery issue and I think teenage girls specifically deal with a lot of that because of body issues Um, for example when I grew up the boys in the classroom were very very cruel about how girls look they would make jokes that said like 
oh, let's just give her a nickname called High Speed Rail. And I'm like, wow. why? Because her face looks like her face looks like a train ran over it. Wow. Yeah. I thought it was just gonna be some random she's fat or that sort of thing, but that is a whole new level. Yeah, they, they were very creative, but also very cruel with their insults. And then you have mothers at home helping to perpetrate these values. Like, you know, you should be skinnier. Uh, why do you have so many pimples? Um, yeah. You know, you need to wear these where your tits are going to sag, stuff like that. And it kind of develops itself into like a form of verbal violence, which is very unhealthy for it. And there's so many specific women. ways for girls to be insecure <laughs> about their bodies. Like there was that part in yeah. Mean Girls where Katie was discovering that she had never really thought about, oh, are my shoulders too wide? Are my legs too thick? And the other girls yes. were like, my legs are too thick. And Katie was like, huh, I thought I looked okay. Never thought about this stuff. Yeah. And I feel like when girls take that anger, they, they use it in relational aggression because it's something that they can control. They see the boys you know throw these fits of rage and get into trouble they're like well we're too smart for that <laughs> we do not want to go to the dean's office because we we decided to punch someone right and so one thing they learn to control is relationships if you say something to certain people they're happy they listen to you if you spread a rumor people believe it and you can ex- socially exclude this person right so I, I feel like that sense of control helps them sort of center themselves when they're constantly wondering am i good enough um, another thing I think that I, I guess adults in general can work on is teaching people how to channel anger by either confronting conflict or finding an uh, an outlet like, you know, art or exercise that makes it healthy. Because Regina, she decided to do a very type of rough sport, right? I'm not sure what it was lacrosse. at the end to channel her anger. Know what lacrosse yeah. is, but in, it involves sticks. And a lot of shouting, with right? Sticks. Yeah. And so I think, especially in Asia, confrontation is so rare in our culture that like you can't even imagine what a cat fight is going to be like what is that even like what girls pulling each other's hair that term doesn't even exist in our culture most right? Especially adults if you're don't school. even know how to deal with their conflicts with people in a healthy way they just kind of true. suppress it yeah so on that note um given your experience um either in england or in china you've seen your fair share of mean girls on screen mm-hmm. and you've seen how women behave in general so would you rather be a dominant ambitious competitive mean girl or would you like to be an outcast do you think these archetypes are still present in kids these days hmm. well when i was a teenager i was definitely the outcast type and i quite liked it actually i I feel like being an outcast spared me from a lot of the social anxiety that the dominant girls, however glamorous they seemed, were controlled by. And I kind of was exempt from the pressure of trying to fit in because from a very young age, I was such a bookworm. And for some reason, you know, in all these children's novels, young adult novels, the main character is usually an outcast. So that really helped feed my ego in a way that helped me feel okay Mm. with it and I I would still go back to that it's too much pressure to live by what other people think you should be like whether you're living up to their expectations or you're not because then there's this constant pressure that you have to meet whereas being an outcast you already know that they don't approve of you and you don't care so it's pretty chill isn't it how would you choose well I don't want to be mean to other people because for me I I hate conflicts (laughs) Yeah, but I I think it's weird for me because I I have the side of me where I'm very sh- like sharp and very like snarky, you mm-hmm. know when when I observe and offer observations and that comes off as aggressive, 
sometimes and that was something that was never okay for for me in my culture like people were how these girls are so, so nice freaks me out sometimes <laughs> yeah but i i was kind of forced into being the outcast because i did not see the value in pursuing an act like academic excellence so i just tried to get by mm-hmm. And but be, but because I was so well at you know English as a, I was doing so well in English as a subject, uh, people put a lot of attention on me, unnecessary attention in in many ways and throughout my childhood. And so I was kind of already an outcast. And like you, yeah, reading and reading about other outcasts definitely helped me. But what happened to me in college when I met you was that I started to learn how to to care about my appearances. I started to learn how to do makeup and dress in a way that made me seem more glamorous. And then at the same time, I was doing well in school because um, for me, English was so easy and we were in, in Eng- we were English majors. So it was really easy to stand out academically. So I became the relatively better looking girl. I became the smarter girl oh. and I had all this attention. And the dilemma I faced was I never tried to be mean to anybody, but I was very aggressive and competitive with schoolwork and that scared people off. So I was always kind of the villain. I was the person that people were afraid to talk to. I was the person where people felt like uh, my opinions were too dominant. Um, there were definitely, I, I definitely lost a few friends over me trying to like expand one film project into like a, a feature film. You know? <laughs> Everybody else is just trying to get uh, that passing grade. And yeah, I was like taking it so seriously. So I was kind of put in a villain position because of my ambition as well. But at the same time, I didn't make as many friends. I wasn't like, you know, I didn't want to be queen of society. I didn't, I didn't. Not like I didn't want to be nice. I just didn't want to be familiar with everybody because I was so busy and I was so content with my group of friends. So I, I always felt like I was an outcast. But then apparently I was always a center of gossip later that I learned. Interesting. Um, and people people thought that I was gay at some point. Really? Yeah, because I was very close with a few friends and they misinterpreted that. And it was, it was weird hearing that after. I, I always thought I wasn't at the center but I was so it, it was very weird for me I'm not sure if I like or hate so it. you are unknowingly Regina because one of the marks of Regina is everyone knows things about her random things I feel like I'm like a, a cross between Sharpay and Regina where like my ambition pisses people off and then I'm also <laughs> yeah <of> gossip <laughs> and I forgot to answer your question yeah. about kids these days well oh yeah yeah I, I don't know any kids these days actually but my general perception for um, people who are in high school now is that they have become much more accepting than we were towards certain kind of differences in people. Like it's not such a big deal anymore to have a different sexual orientation or to have a disability or a learning block of some sort. I feel like the awareness campaign socially in the past decade has paid off. Do you agree? Yeah, in in older teenagers yes but I, I feel like there's still a lot of work to be done in the younger part because I take I teach younger kids um and I've had to spend a lot of time thankfully thankfully my curriculum gives me the flexibility to do that um coaching these kids to not laugh at people with disabilities to not laugh at people because they're gay or they seem to be more feminine really I've, I've had kids where like I show them a video about what it's like for people to for deaf people to communicate or something. And then there are these kids, they just lack empathy or or they're brought up in this family where this type of 
mindset is not cultured or not cultivated. So they, they laugh at these people and I have to spend a lot of time deconstructing these things for these kids. Hmm. So I, I think, and I've, I've seen kids like, so I had this, I saw this kindergartner once and um, I was sharing, her, I was sharing with her class photos of what I did over the weekend. And then because one of my friends had like a bad photo mm-hmm. and she had stronger features and this kid just out of nowhere decided to laugh at her. It's like, ah, oh my God, why does she look so funny? But she didn't, she literally said it in that tone. It, there, there was no innocence. It was in like, ooh, this is interesting. It was like, it was uh-huh. mean. why does she look so weird? It was mean. And I, yeah, it, kids need to be taught. And it's really up to the teacher and the parent Definitely. to see if they can help. And at the younger yeah. stage, their sense of empathy isn't very well developed yet, right? So they no, don't really become social creatures until the early teens. Nope, not at all. <laughs> so we've touched on this a little bit previously about mean girls being seen as the villain. But despite all their mm-hmm. competitiveness, why do you think that is the case? Because they do have a lot of attributes that are very positive, but people don't really see them in that well, light. Well, I think one of the biggest problems, um, as we've seen, we've, we've emphasized that they're very ambitious and very competitive. Um, but I think one of the biggest problems with the mean girl trope is that they're they're feminine. They own up to their ex- sexuality. And um, I, I think plenty of scholarship has pointed out that um, the fact that they're beautiful and they're ambitious and they end up being the bad guy, this combination, this big mixture of personality traits is very politically incorrect for an adolescent girl because you're saying that if I'm ambitious, then I have to be hot. But if I'm ambitious and I have to be hot and I'm also scheming to channel my aggression and my ambition, I'm going to end up being punished. So it's a very problematic character trope. But I think I think the problem is how we look at things, because I feel like these are two separate thoughts. Are you criticizing the woman for being vicious, right, for being, you know, sure about what she wants or and but you're also ostracizing her because she embraces her sexuality because they're two separate things. Right. Being comfortable with being pretty has nothing to do with whether you're a good person or not. Like, how? Co- well, all of the other main characters, the protagonists um, in many films, they're beautiful women that are nice, but they're not ostracized for being feminine, right? Um, but for, like, people like Regina George, you say that they're perpetrating, like, you know, the social hierarchy of women having to confront, conform to, to traditional female roles. Well, I feel like it's com- two completely different things. The same could be said about the Kardashians and the fashion industry's long conflict with how to dress like a proper feminist. Are we supposed to wear pantsuits or is it okay if we wear tight pink skirts, right? Women are given so much shit for either not caring about what they look or caring too much about what they look like. And men aren't thrashed into this debate. They're forgiven for looking shabby and applauded by get- for getting their shit together by working out or paying attention to how they dress. And women get the opposite treatment. So it's not okay to be to be sexy for feminists and it's not okay to not care about being attractive for men. So personally, I, I feel like for me, the queen bee represents a strong female that owns up to her own sexuality and asserts her ambitions and dominance. And come on, if you like Christian Grey, then Regina George and Sharpe Evans should also turn you on. Well, I don't like Christian Grey. I feel like he's <laughs> very <laughs> not mentally stable. Not the kind of ex- relationship you should be broadcasting to people about BDSM. But that's another rant. But yeah, I <laughs> I totally see what you're saying about the Queen Bees. I feel like 
they emphasize a lot that, oh, the queen bees are the villains because they step on other people to get ahead. But in a different yeah. environment, in a male-dominant corporate env- environment, being able to step on people to get ahead is even seen as a good trait. So it's very, very yeah sexist, really. And I can't believe there's a discussion really about sexist. what's the feminist way to dress. Hello, the feminist way to dress is not well, to worry it, uh, about what's like, the feminist way to dress. Well, I think it's like I boiled that down to one statement because there has been a long debate over like, should girls wear these like very like lacy feminine stuff or should they be introduced to pantsuits? And then eventually it did come to this neutral expression where like you should just be able to choose whatever you want. But then I think a lot of people are holding the fashion industry accountable for imposing certain ways to look for women. Um, and they yeah. think it's it's in... I mean, it's true, but like to say that that's something imposed by patriarchy, I feel like it's a bit problematic because I think women decide what's good looking. And when you talk to a straight guy, as long as you have boobs and a butt, they're going to be okay with whatever you dress, whatever you see as beautiful. So fashion itself is not the issue. The issue is beauty standards in general. We are discriminating fat people, discriminating disabled people for mm-hmm. like, looking a certain way. But like to only hold the fashion industry responsible is itself problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so before we finish up, we have two more questions. And the first one is, what attribute in Mean Girls do you admire and why? Yeah, as you mentioned with the Mean Girls, what's so charismatic about them is that they own their femininity. And I was always so in awe about them about how they use the problem-solving toolkit of being a woman. That's never come naturally yeah. to me. You know, the whole fluttering eyelashes, playing the victim, flirting guys into doing your bidding without promising anything specific. Those are really <laughs> high-level techniques. I had no idea how to do any of that when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I'm still not good at any of those things, actually. So at first, I felt kind of bad that they would do these things and I I kind of felt disconnected from my own femininity for a long time but now I've started to see it as a good thing mm-hmm. that they can own who they are and they can use the tools as at their disposal in a society that makes those into advantages for women if you know how to mm-hmm. use it definitely I definitely agree with you on that and I feel like um what I liked about these women was that they there was this very vulnerable side to them that was that, that you had to sort of work hard to figure out. And I, you know, I always like a puzzle if, you know, so sometimes the protagonists are slightly boring because they're already vulnerable and you know what their problem is yeah. and they have to like self-actualize. But I feel like it's interesting to watch someone who is struggling to conceal that and they're, and, and you then learn that they are actually very human, just like the rest of us. And on top of that, they're much more goal-oriented, most of them. They, they know what they want. Yeah, that part so. about the mask coming down to see that they're actually vulnerable and they have their own insecurities is what made these mean girls so interesting to me because then you can mm-hmm. actually relate to them and you can understand how they feel. Mm-hmm. So finally, before we wrap this up, in Asia, do you think mean girls still have the same problem or being seen as the villain yes and no i i think that i mean because they're seen as a villain because they're ambitious if they weren't ambitious they would just be the nice girl next door right but what's wrong with being um, ambitious i think I, I don't know i don't know what's wrong with women being ambitious i guess that's where sexism roots itself but 
since we're talking about ambition, I think ambition is something that we're brainwashed in, in Asian culture to want and worship academically. academically before we yes before we finish our college degree. And, and I emphasize college because um, after college, women are given a lot of crap for being intellectually superior. Um, but since the context of these movies that we're talking about uh, feature plots that are current on campuses, women in Taiwan at least are very much allowed to be ambitious with grades from my point of view. Um, but when you, once you hit official adulthood, women are definitely not encouraged to pursue a higher educational degrees like a master's or a PhD. Definitely not a PhD. <laughs> and if you get a PhD, people like are uncomfortable complimenting you with that because they think you're not going to be able to find a husband by being so smart. And even if they do end up being very successful, there's always this like side note that says, are you able to make your husbands happy? I mean, yeah, yeah, they'll say find someone that's smarter or more successful than you. But when that doesn't happen, every guy you date that's not at your level is he is given the pressure and you are given the pressure to wonder, is he going to be able to live up to your intellect or your success? Yeah, that is so unfair for successful women, because when there's a successful man and he's single, there isn't so much attention on his dating life. But you can bet if the newspapers are going to interview any kind of successful woman, it's going to be like, are you married? Are you dating anyone? What's your view on dating? And if she is married, are you going to have children? Are you going to be a good mother? And if they're going to be judging her on being a good mother when she's already successful in her own right, as a career woman and it's always a big deal if she's single even if they're trying to twist it in a positive sense the emphasis on of their singlehood and how they became this independent woman is so nauseating like okay she does she's not dating anyone so we're here to talk about her work not about her uterus and whether it wants to harbor more babies with a partner I right know, yeah it's, it's really it's really annoying but back to the high school context before we finish this stuff i i don't think um they're seen as villains for being ambitious, but they're seen as villains for cheating to become ambitious. I feel like there it, it would be much more politically correct if Regina or anyone were trying to be ambitious at school. But since I guess that's not emphasized in U.S. high school movies, yeah. um, the grades don't equal, equate as success for children. So the ambition is cultivated elsewhere. And because... I guess they, they're, still, they're still trying to prove that there's some moral compass between how you handle your social relationships. So that type of ambition directed in that sense becomes an easy subject to condemn. Yeah, definitely. It's very different, actually, from how adult society works. So we find it easy to condemn them for doing things that we would find immoral in adult society. Exactly. All right. So... That was an interesting discussion. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. I guess the conclusion is that the school system and the parents are kind of failing the mean girls in not giving them the tools they need to express their ambitions in a more constructive way. Mm -hmm. So thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Bye. Stay tuned. See you guys soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>